Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for just that. That in the cross of Jesus Christ, we are made flawless. It's not that we are flawless, but we know that we are cursed by sin. We are sinners. But Lord, by Your grace, You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. To take our place in the punishment. And Lord, provide us righteousness. Flawlessness. Is flawlessness. In which You clothe us in when we come to faith in Him. Oh, Father, let us always rejoice in that wonderful truth. In Jesus. Oh, Father, bless our time to this morning as we open Your Word. I pray now, Lord, as we come as an act of worship, bow down at Your throne of grace, and receive Your Word, O oh Lord, that You would open our hearts, open our ears, let us hear your word today. It transform our lives, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to first or excuse me, Titus one, not first. Just, there's only one Titus. Turn with me to Titus chapter one. Today we're looking at verses ten through sixteen. Ten through sixteen. We looked last week at the uh, qualifications of elders pastors, leaders within the church, and today we, we continue on and we see part of the task of the pastor elder, and that task is to protect the flock, protecting the flock. Again, remember this letter is for the church, is to give direction and how to organize the church, the local church, and we see that the pastor is there to protect the flock. Uh, the pastor has a number of responsibilities. You, you know in Ephesians it tells us that the pastor, the elders of the church, they're there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But it's not just a, an equipping, equipping office, it is also a protecting office. That's indicated in that title of a pastor. The pastor comes from a word, the Greek word, that, that means shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? Well, the shepherd goes out, he makes sure the flock is fed and watered, uh, takes them where they need to go to find that nourishment, but he's also there to protect them from the wolves that will come along. And so we see that today in this passage. The pastor is here, the elders here, to protect the flock from the dangers, the dangerous wolves that are out there. If you will, if you find your, found your place, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, 
A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You know, the best way to defeat an enemy is not necessarily the frontal attack, but the best way to defeat an enemy is to infiltrate the, the lines there, to infiltrate his forces, to get in, in there with him, uh, to become a part of the, the enemy and, and kind of destroy the enemy from within. Uh, that's why we see governments deploying spies to go out into other nations and begin to build relationships within that nation and begin to destroy the nation from within. Well, Satan knows this trick, doesn't he? He knows this trick very well. And, and so some of the, the greatest dangers that the church will face are not dangers from without. We can, we can know those dangers that are from without, those that are coming from the outside, attacking the church uh, from the outside. Those are, are easily perceived. But what is harder to see, what is harder to find, is those attacks from within the church. Those false teachers, false prophets who infiltrate the church, become a part of the church began to spread little lie after little lie after little lie, drawing the church away from the central faith, central doctrines of the faith. And so it is very easy for Satan to, to come in and bring in false teachers, to bring them into the church and use them to destroy the church. And so uh, the Scripture tells us that we need to be aware of that. Therefore, one of the chief responsibilities of the pastor is to protect the flock from the wolves in sheep's clothing who come in to teach and spread falsehood and carry the church away from the true gospel. Therefore, as we see this morning, Paul writes to Titus and he tells him this, Here's our lesson, my sermon in a sentence. Pastors must protect the church from falsehood, for subtle changes to the gospel may appeal to many, but are damning for all. Let me say that again. Pastors 
must protect the church from falsehood. For subtle changes, subtle changes to the gospel may appeal to many, but they are damning for all. So as we begin to look at this then, Paul ends that last little paragraph there so that this is talking about the elders, their qualifications, and uh, their qualifications, that last line in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He's to hold firm to God's word so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And then as we begin in verse 10, he begins to lay out the false teachers, to begin to look at the false teachers. There was false teachers. There were false teachers who were coming to the church there in Crete. And they were beginning. Paul, you remember Paul here, uh, we can kind of speculate. We don't know for sure where he is, what he has been doing, but it's been speculated, it's believed that, that Paul has been released from his first Roman imprisonment. He's been kind of going on his fourth missionary journey. Three of them are recorded for us in Acts, but there seems to be a fourth missionary journey that he takes. Uh, and then all on that journey, he goes to the Isle of Crete where he plants these churches there in Crete. And Paul is not one to stay and organize. He's never, that's never been his pattern. Throughout the book of Acts, that's, that's not his pattern. He goes in with the gospel. He preaches the gospel, teaches the gospel. He sees people come to Christ, makes lots of converts. And then he kind of leaves some people behind to begin to organize the church and get them started while he moves on to the next town. He's that missionary, that evangelist. And so he has left Titus there in Crete to begin to organize the church, putting things into place. And one of that, the first task is to appoint elders to, to govern the church, to look over the church, to protect the church. And now all of a sudden, all, already... Even though he hasn't been gone long, already there's false teachers coming into the church spreading lies, beginning to draw people away from the true gospel. And so Paul has to warn the church. He warns Titus. Here's these false teachers. They're bringing in false doctrine. And you need to deal with it. And that's one of the great tasks of the pastor is to protect the flock and to deal with false teachers. So as we begin to look then, he identifies these false teachers. He, he gives us some of the characteristics of these false teachers. First of all, we see here that false teachers are many. False teachers are many. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. There are many uh, there's not just a few false teachers along the way. This is not just something that, that Satan tries off the bat and then, oh, if it doesn't work, then I'll go put that aside and I'll try some other tactic. No, Satan is he's the father of lies. And, and so Satan will, will constantly be throwing lies at the church. Therefore, he sends evil teachers along the way to, to bring in falsehood. There are many false teachers who are out there. Not a few. Many. 
And as we look at the world today, as we look at the Christianity as a whole, we can see there are many false teachers out there who are trying to draw people away from the true doctrine of faith. So we must be aware. We must be aware that uh, false teachers are a reality. They're out there. And they will come in here and try to divide and take away the faithful of the, in Christ. So false teachers are many. Second, false teachers are rebellious. They are rebellious. They are false teachers, for there are many who are insubordinate. That word there means rebellious. They're insubordinate. They, they, don't, uh, they don't bow to authority. Uh, they don't come under the authority of God's Word. They are indeed rebellious. Uh, they are continually in the, the, the state of rebellion, I believe Paul is saying here. In other words, they haven't received the Gospel. They're not coming under the true Gospel. But they are still in a, a state of sinful rebellion against God and His Word. They are rebellious, insubordinate, not bowing to the authority of God and His Holy Word, not receiving the Gospel. So false teachers are many. They are rebellious. Furthermore, they are deceptive. They are deceptive. They are empty talkers and deceivers. That word there for empty talkers means they, they talk foolish babble. Empty babble. Useless, worthless babble. And they're deceivers. You see, their, their talk is completely empty. It has no true value. Oh yes, it may sound good. It may sound good. It, it may be a delight for people to hear, but in the end, it's just worthless Babble. There's no redemptive value in it whatsoever. And they are deceiving. They are trying to deceive. They are trying to draw people away from Christ, not to Christ. They are deceptive. They are deceptive. I'm reminded of of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bible still handy, you can flip over there. 2 Timothy, it'd be just a page over, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul there warns Timothy kind of the same way. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, with, but having itching ears. <laughs> they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myth. In other words, what they're, the, the deception, the empty babble, the, the deceiving. You see, it's, it's not that they're going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. No, in fact, what they do is they tell you what you want to hear. They begin by telling you what your flesh wants to hear, right? They tell you that, that God wants you to have your best life now. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. We are living in a fallen world. And if this is as good as it gets, oh, what do we have to look forward to? Christ didn't die to give us our best life now. He died to give us our best life in the life to come. Oh, God wants you to have all the money that you can have. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be healthy. And if you just pray hard enough, if you just have enough faith, He will give you all of your heart's desire. Another lie from the pit of hell. Yes, God wants you to be wealthy in His blessings. And He promises you eternal wealth and blessings again in the life to come. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich financially, materially here in this life. He wants you to be healthy. In fact, one day He is going to rid you from all of your ailments if you trust in Him. But again, in this life, we're living in a fallen world and these old bodies, they grow old. They get sick. We still deal with cancer. We still deal with all the other kinds of ailments that plagues mankind. But praise be to God, He has overcome the d death and disease. And in the life to come, we will be disease-free. We'll have no more arthritis. We'll have no more of all of these other things that break us down. But that's in the life to come, not here now. So you see, false teachers, they'll tell you, all that you want to hear. That if you'll just work hard enough, then you can have all your heart desires here in this life. See, they itch your ears. They, they kind of like my dog. My dog, he loves it when he gets up in my lap. And yeah, he's a big dog too. He's not a lap dog, but he still likes to get up in my lap. But he loves it when I scratch him behind his ear. Oh, he'll just sit there. Oh, oh, oh. And that's what false teachers do. They scratch us behind the ear. Tell us all that we want to hear so that they can get us in their pocket and lead us away from Christ. False teachers are deceptive. Crafty. And they'll lead you away from true doctrine. False teachers, furthermore, are religious. They're religious. Uh, notice there again in our passage, he says that these are from the these that are attacking this church. They're from the circumcision party, the circumcised party. In other words, these guys they know religion. They they know the Jewish religion. Uh, chances are they're probably Jewish, and they're there living on the Isle of Crete. So they they have been circumcised. And they know all of the Jewish traditions. They know all of the ceremonial law. And as we, we go to the end of this, we see that most likely what they're, they're bringing in, the falsehood that they're bringing in, is that they're adding something to the gospel. They're adding religious practices to the gospel. In other words, they're saying, if you want to be saved, yes, Jesus is good and great, but if you want to truly be saved, then you've got to have Jesus plus 
all of this other stuff. They know their scripture. They know that these guys that Paul's dealing with, they know the Old Testament backwards and forward. I mean, there are probably some who are Pharisees who, who have memorized most of the Old Testament. And so they're, they're very religious. Jesus looked at the Pharisees of his day, and he said, yes, they are very religious. You look at them, and they, they put on the face of religion. They know what to do. They know what to say. They know all of the talk. Extremely religious. Look at them and say, oh, yes, they've got it going on. But religion won't save you. Religion will never save you. Only Christ will save you. So they're deceptive and they are religious. They, they have that air. They know Scripture. Paul again, or excuse me, no, this is not Paul. Peter warns of this as well in 2 Peter chapter 3, 16. He's, he's talking there at the end of, of 2 Peter about Paul's writing. Paul, he has written some things that are kind of hard to understand. And he goes on to say, the ignorant and unstable twist those writings, those things that are hard to understand, to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So they know scripture. They know it. And they use it. Pull it out of its context. And they use it for deceptive purposes. In other words, they, they cherry pick, right? They, they come over here and they find this scripture and they pick it up out of the text and they rip it out of the text and they bring it to you and they'll quote scripture to you and, and they'll take it away from what it really meant to, to tell you a lie. Satan was, Satan is excellent at this practice, isn't he? I mean, how did he, when he tempted Jesus, what did he say? There on the second temptation, he says, it is written. He quoted Jesus' scripture. Jerry picked it out tore it out to use it for his own means. False teachers, they're religious, they know Scripture, and they'll use it, twist it for their own destruction. So there are many, they're rebellious, they're deceptive, they're religious, and they are divisive. They are divisive. They lead people away from sound doctrine. He says there, they are upsetting whole families whole families. Now, the question here on, on that word families, uh, the, the word there is a, a word used. It, it can mean either families or houses or households. And the question here is, is Paul talking about a family unit like a father, a mother, and children, even extended family, parents, grandparents, that sort of thing? Or is he talking about a household of faith? Because you remember, in this day and time, they didn't have church buildings like we have. All right? We have the big church building. We come together in the church, and we study Scripture together. There they had house churches. And so is Paul talking about households? Is he talking about the house churches or families? You can kind of go either way. I, I kind of lean more towards, as I've studied this, more towards he's looking at the house churches. They're, they're dividing house churches, the family of God. They're coming in, they're being divisive, and they're beginning to tear people away from the church. They're divisive. They're divisive. They want to separate. Where God wants to unite us in Christ... False teachers want to separate us 
to pull us out. Because if he can separate us and get us pulled out from one another, he can devour the weak. Just like a wolf. A wolf likes to get into the pack or get into the flock and separate out the weak so he can devour the weak. Satan wants to devour the weak. He wants to be divisive. And finally, they are self-interested. They are self-interested. They are doing all of this for greedy, shameful gain. They're self-interested. They're looking for either one of two things, financial gain or self-promotion, that kind of gain. Right? They're, they want to, to build up their own ministry. They want to build up their own name, make a name for themselves, and you can have either one. They're self-interested. So what must we do about false teachers? What must we do about false teachers? False teachers must be rebuked, Paul says. They must be rebuked. How are they to be rebuked? First of all, they are to be rebuked sharply. <clears throat> this testimony is true. Uh, therefore, Paul says, rebuke them sharply. Or you could say severely. In other words, don't let it kind of go on and on and on, but, but attack. When, when you see falsehood begin to, to raise its ugly head in, in the flock, then you need to rebuke it sharply. Get to it. Do it quick. Do it quick. Get to the point. Don't let it linger. You know, that's the, a lot of our problem today is we kind of like to tippy-toe around things sometimes. See something, oh, well, maybe they'll get, get it worked out eventually. We don't want to talk about rebuking quickly. We don't want to talk about rebuking sharply. That just seems unloving, uncaring. But you see, here's the thing. When you find a cancer, you don't just kind of, well, maybe it'll go away on its own. Because it's not. There's a disease there that needs to be addressed. And you don't just wait to see what happens. You address it. You get to the problem. You cut it out. You rebuke it sharply. You can't just let falsehood begin to grow within the church hoping that it all work its way out. No, when falsehood arises, you get to the point. You take care of it. You must for the sake of the whole body. But look why you rebuke it sharply. It's just for the purpose of correction you do it for correction again look what he says there rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith not devoting themselves to jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth in other words this is an act of love that paul is talking about here you do it sharply you you address it quickly and and even harshly if you have to for the purpose of correcting them and not only correcting them but also for the purpose of restoration for the purpose of restoration you want them to to know the truth to see the truth and to be restored to the family of faith 
It's not just to be mean. But it's an act of love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ. It's an act of love. It's to be done out of a heart of love. We want to see the lost come to Christ. We want to see those who have, have kind of bought into falsehood. We want to see them turn around and, and come back to truth and, and understanding. We want to correct them and restore them. So, false teachers must be rebuked sharply for the purpose of correction and restoration. It is an act of love, not an act of of, of hatred or an act of meanness. And third, false teachers. Why do we rebuke them? Why do we correct them? Because they are perverting the purity of the gospel. False teachers pervert the purity of the gospel. That's what he's getting at there at the, the last, verse, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works. Now, we need to understand something here because I don't want you to get, uh, misunderstand me at all here. When we're talking about false teachers, we need to understand what, they, what, what the falsehood is, what, where we're most concerned. And so to, to think about that, to, to really get in there, let me just kind of take a side here and explain something to you. In the Christian faith, you see, think about this as in concentric circles. All right, so you have a target out there with a bullseye in the center, right? Concentric circles. And so in the center of that circle, that bullseye, there are absolutes. There are core principles of the faith, core doctrines that are absolute. You must believe in these central doctrines to be a Christian, period. Right? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are condemned sinners worthy of God's everlasting, eternal judgment. And God, out of His love and mercy, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who was with Him in the beginning. In Him, through Him, for Him were all things created. And Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came and He became a man, fully man. He lived in absolute obedience to God. And yet, though He was without sin, He died a sinner's death on Calvary's cross, receiving on Himself our punishment for our sins. And God raised Him up again, showing that all sin had been paid for. And those who believe in Jesus may have everlasting life. And one day God is returning, Christ is returning to make all things new. Right there at the core, the absolutes revolve around the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the gospel, if you don't believe in Jesus, 
then you're not a Christian. Period. Outside of that, outside of that circle, then are the uh, convictions. Convictions. So the core and then convictions. As it, Convictions are kind of what split us up into denominations. So there's certain convictions that we have as Baptists that makes us Baptists. We can still have fellowship with Methodists and Presbyterians and those because we believe in the core doctrines, the core, the center, the absolutes. But we are separated by these convictions. All right? And then outside of that, there's another circle that are opinions. And in that, that area of opinions, then we, we have things like uh, uh, that, that the Scripture's not so clear on. And, and so we kind of look at it and we kind of think, well, I think this and I think that. Uh, you think about uh, end times talk, talking about end times, eschatology. You know, there's uh, classic premillennialists, dispensational premillennialists, postmillennialists, all millennialists. We have all of those. And all of those exist in Baptist churches all around, right? And don't worry if you don't know what all those are, it's okay. As long as we believe that Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead, right? As long as we believe that, as long as we hold to that, that would be in the core. And so as long as we believe that, we can have these different opinions and still fellowship even in our church. And so if you don't agree with me on, on those little things that aren't clear in Scripture, we're, we're all right. We're good. No problems. And then outside of that are questions. And Scripture leaves us with a lot of questions that we, God just doesn't explain, and we'll know it in glory, but we don't know. They're just questions. And so there's, you know, we don't even think about those. We've developed those opinions. We know those questions. But at the core are those Central doctrines. And when Paul is talking about those false teachers, they're the ones who are attacking the central doctrines, the core. And he says, those, those you need to rebuke sharply. Because here's why. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. What is at issue here? Look at that, what he's talking about. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. That whole talk about purity is, is again, giving us a picture of what, what the issue is. There's the Judaizers. They're coming in, and they're saying, you got to be, if you want to be saved, Jesus is good, but if you want to be saved, you got to have Jesus plus all the ceremonial laws. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to quit eating pork. You've got to do all of these other things. You've got to have Jesus plus your works. Anytime we add anything to Jesus, we end up with nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 24, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and he is expelled. Thus, Mark says, he declared all foods clean. And he said, 
what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see what we need, we don't need works to make us clean. We don't need those outward things to make us clean. What we need is a clean and pure heart. We need a changed, transformed heart. And that only happens when Jesus comes to live within. So Paul says to the pure, all things are pure. But the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. We need transformation from within us. Therefore, the truth is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Salvation comes by faith alone and Christ alone, period. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, for we hold that one is justified, that is, declared right before God by faith apart from works of the law. It is faith alone in Christ alone. In Christ, we become pure from the inside. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when we trust in Christ, we trust that He died on the cross for us. We believe that He was raised from the dead to show that there's salvation in Him. That we are justified in Him. When we believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, then we're saved. And the Holy Spirit begins to come inside us. He lives, comes to live inside us and begin to do a new work in us to change our heart. We become pure from the inside out. He begins to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Dear friend, if you're here today and you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, you have nothing. If you're here and you're trusting, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I've got to make it work. I've got to make it work. I've got to save myself. I've got to do enough that I'm worthy of Him. Jesus plus anything is nothing. But if you trust in Jesus, Give your life to Jesus. Then you can have everything. You can have life in Him. And, and it won't be you working. He'll be working in you to change you, to transform you. Do you trust in Him today? Beware of falsehood. Beware of falsehood. Anybody who tries to add anything to Jesus is a false teacher. Run from them. Run from them and turn to Jesus. Pastors must protect the church from falsehood. For subtle changes to the gospel that appeals to so many. So many like it when they can say, oh, but look what I've done. That appeals to the flesh. 
Oh, it may be appealing, but it's damning to all. Salvation through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Do you trust in Jesus today? Have you given your life over to Him so that you may have everlasting life? If not, then let today be the day that you turn to Him and know His saving grace. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray today Lord, that You would have Your way in this place. Oh Lord, that today if there's anyone here who's, who's been given to falsehood, who, have, who has been, been following the, the wrong path, trying to, to add works to salvation. They've been led astray through the lies of, of false teachers. I pray, oh Lord, today that today would be the day that you turn their hearts away from falsehood and turn them to truth. The truth. Jesus Christ. Now, oh Father, we pray as a church you would protect us, oh Lord, from falsehood. Oh Lord, if it ever raises its head here, and surely it will, because Satan will certainly attack oh, as long as we're in this life. Oh, pray, pray, oh Lord, that, oh, that you would identify it and help us, Lord, to deal with it. Oh, protect us, oh God. Protect us, Lord Jesus, our great shepherd from falsehood. And lead us in truth. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You're here today. You've never trusted in Jesus. Let today be the day of salvation. If you have questions, come. I'll be glad to answer them for you. Brother, lead us. And together.